Howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Live by Live has all of your favorite music, and you can listen for free. Whether you hit play on one of our hundreds of curated music stations or create your own custom artist radio station, you'll find the music you love on Live by Live. Visit LiveXLive.com or search LiveXLive in the App Store or Google Play and listen for free now. What would we look like if we were the number one media sales organization in the world? Not digital, but all media. What would that look like? Named one of the 100 most influential women in advertising over the last 100 years, she effectively created brand advertising on the internet. But how did Wenda Harris Millard take Yahoo from 700 million in revenue to over 6 billion? That story right now, I'm Steve Parker Jr. This is Parker on Tap. Wenda, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me on. You know, listen, I'm excited about our conversation. We've known each other a number of years, ever since, you know, our good friend Tim Armstrong made the introduction. And we've had some really good times together since, which I'm very appreciative of. Indeed. Um, As we get started, you know, let's, let's talk about ambition a little bit. You know, we all begin somewhere. And those of us that have achieved any level of success have these seminal events that have occurred you know, throughout our life that are really unmistakable. So what's a moment in your life or work that you can recall occurring for you in that matter? Yeah, I think it was really, after spending 20 years in magazine publishing, I joined uh, DoubleClick as the 12th employee. And it was definitely a, a seminal moment uh, in, in my career. And so I would say that that probably is the one that, that was the most defining. Right. Okay. Well, well, let me take you back there then, is that was 1996. Mm-hmm. Um, the number one song on the pop charts or on Billboard was the Macarena. <laughs> I, I forgot that. I could try it, but it would be really bad. Um, you know, but 96 is serendipitous in a couple of ways for you and I. That's the year I began my digital advertising career as well. Oh, wow. Um, you know, but with you, you had just come off a few leadership roles at very well-known publications such as Adweek and Family Circle as two examples, but you decided to take this jump from this fully analog world to this fully digital advertising technology media company, um, DoubleClick, which you had just mentioned. And you know, that, that is a career-defining choice, but so to be a little cheesy, when did it click for you? And where were you when, in that moment when you made that decision? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it, it, as you said, it was 1996 and we were entering uh, what I would call the uh, age of accountability in advertising. And, you know, I could, I, I'm a student of advertising. So I, I knew that that was in the, um, the marketing zeitgeist that we no longer would laugh at that old John Wanamaker joke. I know half my advertising works. I just don't know which half people actually used to laugh at that, but by the mid 1990s, people stopped laughing and they were looking for accountability in advertising spending. And so when I met Kevin O'Connor, the founder of DoubleClick, 
even though I didn't understand a lot of what he was talking about, because uh, as an English major with a magazine publishing background, I didn't know anything about technology. And But somehow I understood that we might be on the brink of something that could bring us accountability in advertising. And I have a pretty high risk profile. And so leaving magazine publishing after 20 years and sort of jumping down this black hole uh, had an appeal to me. And again, I just, I felt like it had the potential to answer a looming question uh, in the advertising business. Yeah, and look, it was such an exciting time. Not that today's aren't um, in, in, in this industry, but in, today we have different challenges and different tools and a lot more complication, I would say. For sure. It was, it was obviously much more simplified then. Um, but those were, those were extremely exciting times and there was a lot to learn. And if you just jumped in, if you just had a little bit of ambition or a little bit of, say, will or risk profile, you would just jump in and you wanted to figure it out. And that was the great and like beautiful thing about that time period. Yeah. 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 Um, well, look, you know, from that experience, you moved on to, to where today you're the vice chairman of MediaLink, a company that our friend Tim is called the Human Routers. Um, <laughs> right. you, you've been chief sales officer, obviously, at Yahoo and, uh, and the co-CEO of Martha Stewart Living Omnimedia. As a business person, what seemingly simple and fundamental things and principles have helped you navigate through your career? I think, you know, probably the the one that I would say is critically important for, for everybody uh, is focus. And it's very easy to get uh, distracted, particularly in the technology-based world where we have so many opportunities. Uh, the idea is not to pursue every one of them, um, but to focus. I would say the other thing um, is transparency. And that is the practice of opening up what it is that you're doing, why you're doing it. Um, that way, no one will ever leave the room, you know, wondering what you really meant. Um, and it also opens you up to um, others sharing their ideas. If people don't understand what your vision is, why, and how you're going to get there, um, they're not going to be willing to contribute as much. So I think transparency uh, is another one. Um, and then I guess kind of going hand in hand with that is is honesty. And I have never been one for um, for politics, you know, any any more than than you must. And I think where there are people, there are politics, but I think honesty and transparency are critically important to achieving what you want. Yeah, and we, you know, and, and all, all three of those things that you mentioned are, are so, you know, we could spend an entire half hour on each one if we really wanted to easily. Um, you know, focus is important just so you can, you know, I, I look at that and I say, okay, let's, let's go back and do the basic things really well, like the planning, the research, the let's build our foundation so that we have some sort of stability to go execute off of. And then when you think about transparency, I, you know, I feel like so many organizations lose trust over such simple things. Yes. You know, where they're trying to hide something, maybe not for, for ill intent, but just because they don't want people to know kind of what they're really doing. But then that creates all this confusion and complication that we have even in today's environment. And, and also a sense of where you can't tell one business from another in a lot of instances, because they're all just saying the same things. That's that, exactly right. Yeah. 
Exactly right. You know, why do you think it is that so many people overlook and avoid, you know, intentionally or not, these sort of fundamental things? I think a couple of reasons. I, I think primarily people try to shy away from the simple when when the simplifier is really the one who wins in business in many, many ways. But I think people feel they need to be more profound or more creative or um, different. And so they kind of take the, the simple things for granted and make the assumption that they're there when in many cases there, there aren't. You know, take, take another, um, another example of a fundamental, which is managing expectations. Think about how many times you've, you've failed or you've watched people fail because they thought this and you thought that and you didn't manage the expectations. And I think particularly in a client services business, you have to manage expectations. And that, that's part of the transparency and the honesty, um, the clarity, the focus. But I think people kind of take it for granted that the fundamentals exist. So let, let me complicate the complicated. Well, it's, you know, it's those, yeah, exactly. And, and we've all been fault at, at fault for that at some point, right? Um, and, and, and learn the hard way or, or maybe didn't learn and failed a lot yeah. and continue <laughs> right. to. And sometimes these, you know, you call them seemingly small things, right? That, that are so simple that people overlook these fundamentals. They, they end up being the really big things that actually give a ballast to the organization or to the individual or to the team to actually have a platform to go be successful. So it's unfortunate yeah. when those are, are overlooked or, you know, glossed over and not given proper attention. Um, thank you for that. that so I want to ask you another question um, about gender. You know, you've, you've achieved an incredible amount. And, you know, as a woman in the industry, what has changed or maybe what has not changed throughout your career? And what does the future for women look like? Let's, and we can focus and we'll say particularly in, in marketing and advertising as an industry segment. Sure. Well, it, it's certainly uh, very, very different. When I uh, started in the business, it really looked a lot more like Mad Men um, than not. And even though when I started, it was probably about 10 years after when, when Mad Men is set, um, it was very, very male dominated. Women um, held very, very few business side positions. They did hold uh, content or editorial positions but there weren't really that many women in business and um, you were very different. You were absolutely very different. Uh, I think the, the difference became marked uh, when I became a, a mother because back then we had, there was no maternity leave policy. There were no nanny agencies. There, there was no protocol at all. And I remember when my son was born, I think it was three weeks after he was born, I went back to work um, and I brought him to an award show, an advertising award show that I was uh, chairing. And I stuck him in one of those little one piece uh, tuxedos and stuck him under the podium because <laughs> I, I didn't know what to do with him. And right. uh, somebody, somebody said, what's that noise? I said, oh, I don't hear any, no what noise? And so things are very, very different. Um, and I, I had uh, two bosses. I had a double report at that time. And 
there had never been a, a female publisher um, who was pregnant, you know, in, in office. So it was kind of a, a rarity. And you look, you know, these years later is how very, very different it is. We, we not only now have maternity leave, we have paternity leave. So there have been some, some great advances, I think, on, on the family front for women in business. But it's still, if you look at, for example, Silicon Valley, that's still a young white man's world um, from, from what I can see. And I think while there have been some efforts made in the STEM areas for women, you know, we, we still don't have a whole lot of women engineers, for example. So there are still some, some barriers there, um, certainly at the, at the board level, you know, going all the way up. Um, we still have a very, very, very small percentage uh, of board seats. And while there's some good, good action around there, it, it's not an equal world uh, by any means in business. So we still have a, a long way to go. I think the, the great news is that marketing is, marketing, media, advertising, that, that world is more open to women. And I think partly because the good ones, the good companies are really focused on the consumer and the consumer is so often a woman that when you have the customer with you 24 seven, um, that's usually when you win. So right. I think, you know, we're, we're making some, some progress. We've had some setbacks, um, but I, you know, we're carrying on. I'd like to remind everyone you're listening to Parker on Tap, a podcast where we have lively conversations with people you need to know. I'm your host, Steve Parker Jr. In this episode, we are talking with an icon of the marketing and advertising world, Wenda Harris-Millard. If you enjoy this conversation, please share it with others. And do you, I mean, is there, is there anything that, um, you know, you see coming down the path for, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, you know, obviously in our industry, there's a lot of conversation about, um, about women, about uh, DEI and, and having, you know, more diverse organizations. And, and obviously there's been a, a, um, a glut of that, you know, where, I mean, probably not even a glut really is probably not the best word, but there's been a lack of diversity within, you know, the advertising industry. Um, you know, how do you, like, how do you solve that? Do you think what's the, what's the big barrier to overcome that? I mean, there's actually been a lot of research um, on both boards and executive level positions um, that will tell you that it takes three people, either, you know, uh, a woman, uh, color, um, uh, sexual orientation. Um, it takes three people to change the culture. And as I said, a lot of work has been done on this. So I think, you know, part of it is you have to get these people um, who are different, who represent uh, diversity into positions of power and influence, if you will. And it's then and only one that it, it can't be token. It's, it's not enough. Um, and I experienced that myself uh, several years ago, I was on a board where it was a, I think it was a $4 billion company publicly held. There were nine board members and I was the first female uh, board member. And it was pretty darn 
lonely um, until two other women came on the board over the course of the next several years. And then we were able to have a much more, uh, I think, balanced and robust conversation. Um, but they, they were very much the same. There were eight of them. And to me, they were all like the same person. They always voted the same way, <laughs> same conversation. Um, and I was very much left out of that conversation if they, if they could control it. Well, and you had told me a story once about the meanest thing anyone ever said to you. Oh, yeah. This was awful. You mind sharing that? No, not at all. Um, it, it goes back to the, the motherhood issue. I had uh, two small children. Um, that's redundant, sorry. <laughs> children are small. Uh, but I had two <laughs> young children. I've and, seen some uh, really big babies before, so yeah. you, never, you never know. <laughs> but my kids were, were pretty young, say three and five or something. And an executive who I knew pretty well told a friend of mine, you know, one of the greatest things about Wenda, she has two kids and you'd never know it. I thought that was like the worst thing anybody could ever say about me. Um, because, you know, back then you didn't, what they say today is bring your whole self to work. Um, right. Your professional and your personal lives were entirely separate. And it wasn't a great idea to talk about your kids in a business meeting. Well, Whereas now you know, that's it, completely changed. It has changed tremendously. And, and, you know, and, you know, I've talked about this and, you, you know, I think today and people that are connectors like, like yourself or me and, and that we enjoy networking and spending time getting to know people and want to work with people that we like working with. And I think most people fundamentally do. Yes. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to work with someone who seems cagey to me and won't share their life. That, exactly. There's, there's just not enough time in the day. Like I need to know who you are. Yes, you can't exactly. Just tell me what you need. It's just not enough. And so I, I think it's unfortunate that, that was that way in the past. And obviously it's changing. It still has a long way to go, both in terms of motherhood for females, for all sorts of diversity, diversity and inclusion uh, topics and, and issues. So let's let's go to Yahoo. Um, when, when you took over all the global sales responsibility for Yahoo, what was happening at Yahoo in 2001? What did and what did you change? when you mm -hmm. came in that really gave them that, that huge launch towards, you know, six plus billion. And they were only at 700 million at the time. Right. Yeah. And that was, uh, there was $700 million and uh, really bleeding cash. I think the stock was maybe a $7 stock. Um, I think the industry had kind of, kind of left it behind. It just, it didn't look like it was uh, going to go anywhere. And so it was a pretty, pretty messy situation classic turnaround. And I think the very first thing I did um, was provide focus. And I built out uh, with my manager's help, uh, a vision for what, what would we look like if we were the number one media sales organization in the world, not digital, but all media, what would that look like? And so we built that vision and then we built a pathway toward it and it, it turned out it was called project one and it went on for all the years that that i was there and we built for every single job uh in that sales organization there were about 18 1800 people or so um what excellence looks like what it means very specifically 
to be excellent in your particular role. And we laid out a roadmap for people uh, on how to get there. And it became a, a way of life. It was the way that we did things, was always looking toward excellence. And project one, you know, was, as I said, to be uh, the best media sales organization in the world. And, you know, at that time when Yahoo was such a mess, it looked like a, a very lofty aspiration. And I think by the, by the time, uh, you know, we were in full gear, uh, moving from 700 billion to, to 6 billion in revenue, we, we, we were looking like a pretty good, <laughs> good sales organization. Um, but we lived that vision every single day. So, so let's go back to advertising and marketing uh, industry for a moment. Or uh, really, I mean, listen, this could be any industry. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough wall to scale in order to make an impact or get noticed in any role, regardless of company size and in the industry, regardless of size. Um, recently, you told me the story about someone who many years ago emailed you and left an impression. Oh, yeah. Um, and if you could share that, I think that would be a, a, it's a really fantastic story of just how to stand out because, you know, you're inundated, I'm inundated, lots of people are inundated with emails, with calls, with everything all day long. So how do you break through? Well, this was a, I, I love this story. Um, I, you know, one day just going sorting through <laughs> gazillions of emails, I came across one that had a headline that said, you were young once too. I was like, what? <laughs> and I was so curious. I opened it up and it was from a young woman. I still remember her name. Her name was Hannah Green. And she had, Hannah, if you're listening, you're getting a, a, you know, <laughs> exactly. a big story told exactly. about you right now. And she just wrote this very um, honest and open email that said, you know, I, I am in love with, with Yahoo and you know, I know what you're up to and I want to be on your, your team. I don't have a lot of experience. You know, here's what I have. It was probably nine months somewhere. But I promise you that if you talk to me, that you will enjoy it. And I want the opportunity to convince you to be on your team. And as I said, the organization was very, very large. And so it probably would not have been the smartest use of my time to um, to spend time with her before somebody had vetted her. Um, so I, I wrote her back and I said, I, I love the way you caught my attention, um, but I'd like you to talk to a couple of other people before I talk to you. And um, she talked to a couple of other people at Yahoo. They were hugely impressed. And so then I, I met her and there was a reason to be impressed and we hired her um, and she became one of our superstars. That's so great. And so I just, I thought it was so smart of her to find a way to get my attention. And because at that time we, we were very, very attractive. Um, we never recruited, people just wanted to work there. And so we were, we were all from a management standpoint flooded with, um, with resumes. So I like that story because as you say, it is difficult to stand out uh, regardless of, of company size or, or the industry. And so finding ways to call attention in a positive way to yourself 
um, you know, can be pretty, pretty fun and creative. And in, in Hannah's case, it worked. That's great. You mind if I share a story? No, I'd love to hear it. I mean, and, and I know you probably get tons of these too, but I get at least two to three, probably more like five of lead generation sales emails every single day. Yes. And, you know, and they tell you like, Steve, we could promise you to generate 25 or 50 leads per week, yada, yada, yada. You know, the problem is they all start with their selling points. So straight to trash. That's where the email goes. Right. A, day a day later or two days later, Steve, you must have missed my email. Nope, didn't miss it. Trash it again. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know. But but two weeks ago, exactly two weeks ago to the day, um, there was a guy who reached out. His name was Jacob. And he reached out via cold email. Same thing. He was selling um, you know, lead generation services. He could generate client leads for us. You know, he was very, most, he, this is the difference. He was very short and concise in his message. He wasn't paragraphs of nonsense. He led with something related to an article that he read about our company that captured mm -hmm. him and told me what it was, which is so great, right? I mean, how novel, like, oh, yeah. tell me, hey, listen, tell me something you like about me or our company. Great. I might give it yep. two seconds of notice, right? So he showed actual uh, interest, which it's amazing it, that it's such a basic, sim simplistic thing. So anyway, so I, I wrote it back and I took the call and I told, I did tell him up front. I said, Jacob, listen, I don't, I don't know if this is a fit for us. I don't, I rarely almost never take these types of calls. They're usually someone else. I said, but, but I'm happy to discuss. And then here, here's the interesting part. And don't laugh. He did not make the sale. <laughs> you know, he didn't make the sale. Um, you know, and, and that was purely because it wasn't a fit for now. It had nothing to do with him. It had nothing to do with the company he worked for, but that's not the point. I mean, and look in hell, if you sell anything, if, and, and we all do, like we all are selling something, no matter what our jobs are, you have to be generally interested. You have to be honest. You have to be transparent um, to find any success whatsoever. And you're always going to get more no's than yeses, but 100% you'll have more success doing those things, you know, being interested, honest, transparent. But here's the point is making that impression. And so Jacob, and, you know, and look, I could tell he was young. I mean, he, but he wasn't disenfranchised by, by the final answer after I talked to him. I think it was for like 25 minutes. He genuinely appreciated my time. And I could tell that in his voice, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and to be honest, I enjoyed his because it was a different type of sales conversation than I generally receive from others. You know, it was a human. It wasn't a, yeah. here's the script, follow it type of thing. And, and so as we were ending the call, he said, Steve, do you mind if I ask a question? And I said, sure, no problem. And he said, you told me that you rarely almost never take these calls. So why take mine? Mm -hmm. And in my head, I'm thinking, wow, another novel approach. Like if you want to know what someone needs or wants or why they're thinking the things they think, just ask them. Right, exactly. you know, it's, not, it's not rocket science, just ask. And so many times I think people are afraid or, or maybe fail to do that. Um, but I, I did tell him I had to get off the phone call right at that moment. I said, look, Jacob, because of the way you've approached this, I said, I will get back to you later today and I will give you um, that answer. And so I wrote him back and told him exactly why. Um, and I told him because of his approach, he was concise that he led with something of, of interest to me as opposed to just selfishly for him. Um, and I also gave him two book recommendations. And then he wrote me back and he had, he had purchased them both. And so, wow. so if Jacob's listening, he has a very bright future, I think. Um, but, you know, look, to stand out, you have to do something different. Everyone else is going to tell you a certain way of doing it. And you have to make a different choice. And, and you, know, you have to also make it authentic uh, to make that impression. I, I, for sure. So, for sure. Well, and, looks, and also, 
So, you know, it, it's, it's, it's easier to be yourself. A hundred percent. And, you know, I have a, I have a philosophy. You can ask me any question or ask for any answer and I'll give it to you. I won't promise you that you'll like it. I will right. never promise that. I don't even promise my kids or my wife that. Right. But I never have to remember what I told you because I'll answer the same way a year later. Exactly. Exactly. Like on the dime. So, well, so he, so making an impression is tough, right? Well, well so speaking of impressions made, Martha Stewart. <laughs> so after Yahoo, you went to run Martha Stewart's company. I did. And she was, I'm sure, certainly an interesting one to work with. Um, I'm putting you on the spot, but let's give me an interesting Martha story. Oh boy, um, there there are lots of them. <laughs> I had known Martha for um, for a very very long time uh, before I, I joined that board, and then eventually joined the company. So, um, and I was a big big fan of the brand. Um, but as you say, she she is quite the character, and um, I remember being so surprised the first time that that Martha came to my house uh, to a party I was having. It was a holiday party, and the first thing she did is she walked into the kitchen, opened the freezer door and checked to make sure that any food in there um, that I was freezing was uh, packaged properly, labeled and dated. That was sort of an interesting thing to do in the middle of a party. Um, and then I watched as she walked around my house and sampled um, all the different cookies that I had made, and every time she, which I've been, I mean, one, I'm so I've been, I've been fortunate to be at your house and come to some of these events, and <laughs> and you like to bake, like you like to. Oh, I love to. You don't, you don't cater when you have these events, and so you do it yourself. I do. So anyway, I continue. Do. Sorry, but she went around uh, taking a bite out of every different kind of cookie, and then um, kind of beating me up if she recognized that it wasn't one of her recipes, and you know, I remember she. Um, took a bite of one and looked at me and she said, this is not mine. This is Ina's. That would be Ina Garten, the, the barefoot right. contestant. So yeah, so she was always full of surprises. Um, but that was kind of a, a fun one. Um, yeah, and then there was the time she walked into my house with a, with a gift and it was a box of eggs. And they were the first eggs that her acacia chickens had laid and she thought that was just about the best present she could give somebody so they were good eggs they were okay <laughs> <laughs> i would have tried one last couple questions where do you believe the ad industry will be in five years i know it's a broad question we can narrow if needed but sure. where do you think it'll go it'll it'll be here <laughs> you know there, there are uh reports of its its demise but um no i i think the advertising business is going through uh a tremendous amount of change um with brands needing to really put the consumer first every minute of the day and i think the pandemic um has been uh, it's accelerating a driver of, sure. of getting closer and closer to the consumer and how right. the consumers um patterns of behavior are, are changing. So I think, I think the advertising business, I, you know, it's funny, I, I, I rarely use the word advertising um, 
to mean the industry. I really think about it as, as marketing with right. advertising as an element of it. Sure. But I think we'll be uh, a little bit more sympathetic, empathetic understanding of the consumer. Um, I do think that agencies play a very, very important role uh, for major brands. But I also do see more and more brands going direct to consumer with a lot of success. And so the agencies, I think, are, are very challenged uh, to keep up with that phenomenon uh, and also to, to uh, fend off some of the uh, competitors that they have now in the sort of classic consulting firms like Accenture and IBM and, right. and some of the others. So I think they, they need to evolve to become more strategic partners as, as they originally were um, with brands. But it, the industry will very much be here. Uh, there's no question. It'll just um, evolve a little bit more. Well, what company, you know, in, in, in keeping with that, what companies do you think will lose market share and not by name, but what type of companies will lose market share or in other words, who loses and why? Yeah, I, I think, you know, it, it has to do again with the consumer. You know, those companies who have the consumer right smack in the middle of the table, you know, during that conversation that it's all focused on the consumer um, because the consumer you know, we used to say this at the beginning of the digital revolution. We didn't even know what we were saying, but we used to talk about the consumer being in control. And as digital has matured from a marketing standpoint, that is ever more the case. And so it's it's those uh, commercial messages that kind of pound the consumer, interrupt the con consumer. Um, those companies won't become beloved brands. And so I think understanding what the consumer is really looking for uh, is going to be critical. And I think the other thing um, absolutely has to do with corporate responsibility. Those brands that show, I guess you'd call it today, that they're woke, um, that they're concerned about the environment, they're concerned about uh, civility. I think those, those brands will be winners and, and those who are still overly focused on commercial messaging uh, at the expense of that kind of understanding, they, they will suffer uh, share losses. What, what's, the, what's the one thing that both agencies and brands um, need to be doing well here in 2021 and beyond? I think... I mean, you, and you and you mentioned, you know, the agencies have some challenges and they become right. more strategic with their clients. And I fully agree. I mean, that that's why with ours, we have been solely focused on on these core principles and these the fundamentals, transparency, expectations, because without those, you it's hard to build strategic opportunities. Absolutely. Guidance, you know, because you're just guessing, you know, a lot of times or just doing activity and activity doesn't produce results always. So you know, what is like, what is the one thing that you think agencies and, and also the brand counterparts, you know, need to be doing going forward? I mean, obviously focused on the consumer, but, but what else might it be? I think not, not breathing a sigh of relief and saying, oh, thank heaven that's over. And then go back to the way we were. I don't think we are going to go back to the way we were. I think there have been some silver linings about 
you know, things that we've learned, for example, um, about working from home versus working in an office. I think, you know, it's, it's almost universally agreed, I think, uh, in the business world that there's room for alternates, you know, to the eight to six being in the office every day. And I think the research on productivity um, indicates that sometimes it's a darn good idea for people to be working from home. Um, so I think going forward, we need to continue to be thoughtful about the things that we've learned at this time, uh, because some of them will, will stay with us, some of these changes. And so not assuming that, great, we're back to the, to the way we were. And I, listen, I really appreciate the time today. Um, oh my I know goodness! Thank you I know so you're much. always, <laughs> I know you're always very generous with your time with me, and and I've always appreciated that. Um, but thanks for sharing of not only really great professional advice, you know, for people, but also at the same time of you personally and some of your fun stories. And I know there are lots of others we could talk for days about, but maybe we'll do that another time. No, that was great. I, I so appreciate this, and I I'm such a fan of what what you've built and what you continue to build. Um, at Level Wing. It's, it's time well spent with you, Steve. I'm always inspired by Wenda Harris-Millard. The most important takeaway was her strategic thoughts on the importance of focus and fundamentals, as well as how to define excellence. She's always been a mentor for me personally, and I've built an entire ad agency business around these core principles that she and I discussed. Thank you for listening. And if you can spare a brief moment, please, Share Parker on Tap on social or with a friend. You can also rate us on your favorite podcast platform and learn more at parkerontap.com. Hey, howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me fictional golf and western country music pioneer uncle drank the series also stars luke wilson brian kelly chelsea lynn kinky friedman and billy zane as a talking blender named blendy you can find the ballad of uncle drank on sirius xm pandora stitcher or wherever you get your podcast